Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. So myself and Jared Berry are fresh off a youth event called PKMK Retreat, which is a three-day weekend uh, retreat for teenagers of the Assemblies of God, pastors and missionaries here in New York. So if I look like I got beat up by 35 teenagers, it's because I got beat up by 35 teenagers. I'm a little tired. Uh, They wore me out. But I have the honor of serving as the events director for the New York Youth Ministry Department. So this is an event that I plan and I help lead, which means that it came with the added responsibility of being the driver of the first vehicle in line of many church vans driving teenagers around our area this weekend. And so my goal for that is obviously to always get them to where they need to be, but it's also to get them there safely and in one piece. But I also try to do it seamlessly and without mistake. But... That didn't exactly happen because on Friday night, when we went to a Syracuse Mets baseball game, I was able to lead us successfully onto the main drive, which leads to all of the parking lots. But instead of driving to the paved parking lot, which is directly in front of the baseball stadium, I got a little antsy and I jumped the gun and I turned into the parking lot that was paved with stone, which is the furthest parking lot away from the stadium and which is directly in front of an industrial building. So I'm sure that you can imagine the collective disapproving uproar and the vans full of teenagers, pastor kids uh, to mind you, and we were, you know, that we were driving around. So they're sighing, they're groaning, and then you can see their eyes rolling, you know, in the back of their head, which are so heavy that they could probably flip over the van. So if you can relate to that parents of any teenagers, I'm sure that you're like, oh, Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. So what I did is I made a quick U-turn out of that parking lot, and I pulled out of there and pulled into the correct parking lot that was paved with stone. That made the students happy. But the parking lot that was paved with asphalt did. It made them happy, and that's where we wanted to be because that's where the anointing is because you don't have to walk as far, right? My feet were already tired from all of that. And God's Grace was working all through that because we were comfortable parking there. It was very convenient, and God even worked through my minor blunder. You know, a positive outcome can come from a rock-laden road. So if you find yourself this morning, maybe for you this morning, you feel like you're on a difficult path, I want to let you know there is hope. You know, we've seen this to be true in Joseph's life in this series that we've been on. We've seen God's favor be upon him. And he had, as you know, a rough road for most of his life. But this morning, we're going to see that Joseph's journey to forgive and learn why the road to forgiveness is always paved by God's amazing grace. What we're going to see this morning is, number one, God's grace, it softens hearts. We're also going to see that God's grace, it satisfies hearts. And then lastly, we're going to learn that God's grace saves hearts. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 45. This is kind of the, the, um, you know, the main text that we're going to be in. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 15, which is a little bit longer of a text usually that we read on Sunday morning. Uh, but it's such an amazing story. We need to read it together. I'm going to be preaching and reading from the New Living Translation. Um, but before we read today's text, I'd like to do a quick little recap of where we're at 
and also do a quick synopsis of each of the chapters, 42, 43, and 44, and then we'll dive into the passage for this morning. So last week at the end of chapter 41, we see that Joseph, he was in charge of all the grain over all of Egypt during the seven years of famine after the seven years of plenty. And Joseph, he'd been instrumental in Egypt for having the reserves that they did. He stored up all that grain, right, during the famine. And people from all over the land, they began approaching and journeying to Egypt to see Joseph to buy grain from him. In chapter 42, Joseph's brothers, we find them journeying to Egypt to buy grain from him. And then many years ago, God had given Joseph a dream where his brothers, they actually bowed down to him, remember? And in this chapter, we see that dream. It materializes because they do what? They do exactly that. They bow down to Joseph. At first, we see Joseph dealing harshly with his brothers because if you think about it, when you have that long to think about what you're going to do to your brothers after they had sold you into slavery, you would probably treat them pretty harshly as well. So he had years to think about what he was going to do to them if he ever saw them again. And then Joseph, he sends them back home to Canaan to return to their youngest brother, Benjamin, who remained there. And all while this is happening, we see God, uh, God's grace faithfully at work, right? In chapter 43, Jacob, their father, he begrudgingly sends Benjamin back along with his sons back to Egypt to buy more grain from Joseph. They're hungry again. And Jacob doesn't want to send his youngest son because this is a possible trap. There's possible trouble. And he assumed that he had already lost one son, Joseph, and he didn't want to lose another. When the brothers, including Benjamin, arrive at the house of Joseph, Joseph sees Benjamin his full-blooded brother, they share the same mom. He becomes overwhelmed with emotion, and then we see him here weep. He then throws them this big feast and blesses them with provisions. Provision, And here we see God's grace is still faithfully at work in the heart of Joseph and in the hearts of his brothers. In chapter 44, Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan with their bags packed full of grain, but he also, we see here, he concocts a little test for them, doesn't he? He hides money in each uh, um, of their sacks that they paid for their grain in their personal bags. But he also hides a, his own silver cup in the bag of Benjamin. And then what he does is he sends his servants after his brothers who are journeying back home to catch them. And then they're all brought, brought back to Joseph. And when they open up their bags in front of him, he sees their money, but he also finds the silver cup in the satchel of Benjamin. So they think that they're all in trouble. And so Joseph, he doesn't get them all in trouble, but he asks for the life of Benjamin to become a servant for them. And now the brothers are crushed. They're grieving. You, you read in the text that they're tearing their clothes, which is a sign of their grief. But we see one courageous brother stick up for Benjamin, and he comes in between, and he stands in the place between um, Benjamin's life and Joseph, and he says, I will give my life for Benjamin's. So Joseph here, he's moved to emotion. He can no longer hold it in because he sees the selfless act of Judah, the one brother that courageously stood up and says, take my life in exchange from Benjamin. And it's here that Joseph is welled up with so much emotion that he finally 
reveals his identity to his brothers. And we see here in this moment, God's grace is faithfully and surely at work. So now that we're all up to speed right now, let's pick up the story in chapter 45. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 15. Here we go. It's a little bit longer, so please engage and lean forward. Here we go. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out of out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept, and he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place, because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who has made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all of your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything you own. And I will care for you there. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all of your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything that you've seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each one of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. What an incredible story of forgiveness, of redemption, and of reconciliation. In this chapter, we see the fruit of Joseph's faithfulness in trusting God and honoring him with his life. We see forgiveness come full circle here, and God's grace paves the way for it all to happen. God's grace leads us to forgiveness. That's what we're going to see this morning. And the first way that that happens is, number one, God's grace softens hearts. In just a few short verses before the text that we read, at the end of chapter 44, Joseph's brother Judah says this when he stands in the gap for Benjamin. Judah says this to Joseph, so please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that this would cause my father. His heart is changing. It's being transformed. You know, it took 22 years for God's grace to soften the hearts of these brothers, and specifically Judah. 22 years. And what we see here is this is how hard our hearts can become in a broken relationship. 
You know, sin has a way of callousing our hearts to others, even for minor offenses. But God, he faithfully pours out his grace, softening even the hardest of hearts. This effect of God pouring out his grace into our hearts, it makes me think of the effect that waterfalls have on rocks. You ever seen that? Even the hardest of stone and rock over time, it can be cut and it can be carved out by that persistent and steady flow of water over time. And while we see God's grace soften Judah's heart, we also see the consistently gentle heart of Joseph here. Because between chapters 42 and 45, we see Joseph weep four times. He's a softy. And this isn't Joseph being an uncontrolled ball of emotion, but rather this is his response to how God orchestrates the reunification and restoration of his family and his brothers through this amazing process of forgiveness. I love that God's word is just as much for us today as it was for the people who lived in the time that it was written. You know, the process of forgiveness in Joseph's story, it still applies to our lives because God still desires that we maintain healthy relationships with family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, and even acquaintances. You know, God desires that we have healthy relationships. But one way that we can certainly kill and destroy the relationships that we have that God has blessed us with is by withholding forgiveness from someone. We try to control the situation at times instead of trusting God with our relationships and saying, God, what is it that you want to do here? Do you want to help me reconcile? Do you want me to help patch this up? It's on us. God's not going to do it for you. We have to step out and allow God's grace to help us to forgive one another. Many of you know that for about 10 years, I had a strained relationship with my mom. We hardly talked, and I sometimes still feel a little bit of shame about that because so much time had passed. We talked here and there, but it was very sporadic, and it was rare. And it was basically due to some, unforg- due to some unforgiveness on both of our parts. But by God's grace, and it being poured out over our lives, our relationship, and all those years, we finally extended forgiveness to one another. We reconciled and we forgave each other during the Thanksgiving week of 2019, which some of you know about. And now we speak frequently. In fact, I was just talking to her yesterday and we're making plans to see each other soon once again. But for many of us, forgiveness, it takes a long time, but let Joseph's story and let my story of me and my mom be an example for us to not to wait to tomorrow to forgive one another and certainly not 22 years. Let's learn to quickly forgive others and let God's redeeming grace transform, restore, and heal all of our relationships. You know, this is not done through our own strength. It might take us to step out of our comfort zone, but it's not our own strength, will, or might that God's grace moves through us to forgive. We need to be open to what God wants to do in us. It's not by our power. It's not us flexing. It's not us saying, you know what? Let's do this all on my own. But God's redeeming grace works in you and through you through the process of forgiveness. We need to step aside and let God does what he does best, and that's deep, heart-level transformation, deep heart-level work. 
Because what he does is he breathes life into those situations. And all those dead and callous areas and desensitized areas in our hearts, what he's going to do is he's going to replace that and breathe life into it, bring sensitivity. He'll bring care and compassion back to our hearts. What we need to do is we need to allow God's grace to soften our hearts. The second thing that God's grace does is he satisfies our hearts. God's grace satisfies hearts. In Genesis 45, verses 9 through 11, Joseph tells his brothers this. He says, now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. Some come down, uh, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all of your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you your household, and all your animals will starve. You know, we've learned a lot about Joseph these past few weeks, and we've seen that he is really a faith-filled and honest man who lives his life full of integrity. He was also a content man, though, who trusted God through everything that he had endured, and he endured a lot. He went from a preferred son to a beaten brother to a forgotten prisoner, and now we see him as a powerful ruler who is now second in command over all the land of Egypt. This was a guy who had everything you could possibly want. We see him now as second in command, and he's got everything. He has health. He has wealth. He has power. But all of that isn't what he wanted, nor is it what he asked for, is it? We don't see Joseph asking for any of that. Joseph was content in his life, and because he was satisfied with what God had for him in every season of his life, what God did was he added to him, and he poured out an abundance over him. And since God had blessed him with so much, we see now Joseph extending forgiveness to his family through their caring of all of their needs. What is Joseph's? is now his brothers and his fathers. He gives them land, he gives them food and allows their children and grandchildren to come and live with him. He wants them not to just live and exist, but he wants them to thrive in that land. And what we see here is a beautiful picture of how God cares for us as his children. Even when we mess up, God desires that we turn to him, right? We turn to him, seek his forgiveness, so that our broken relationship with him can be restored. And when that happens, God welcomes us into his family. And not only does he welcome us into his family, look around you. He gives us a new family. We're given a brand new family. And then what does he do? He lavishes us with love and care, and he meets all of our needs. God's grace has a way of making us thankful for what we have. When we understand that everything in our lives is made possible by and held together by God's amazing grace, it does something to us. It causes our hearts to be filled with gratitude. Grateful hearts appreciate the forgiveness that we've received, and then it helps us to give that forgiveness to others. We see here in Joseph that he had every right to turn his back onto his brothers and basically send them away pack, packing 
with nothing. He didn't need to do that. But Joseph didn't seek revenge on them. He did the opposite. Instead, what does he do? He blessed them, and then he provided for them. And similarly, similarly, God is generous with his grace towards us. We didn't deserve the grace that he gives us. We don't. We don't deserve it. And in fact, we don't do anything to earn or receive God's grace, but what does he do? He pours it out on us anyways. And the beauty of God's grace is that the amount of grace that he rains down over you will always remain the same. There is nothing that you or I can do to add or to subtract from the amount of grace that he extends to us. His grace will always satisfy our hearts because he pours it out abundantly over us. God's grace surely satisfies hearts. And lastly, God's grace, it saves hearts. In verses five through seven, Joseph is saying this to his brothers. He says, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last for five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. The question that I have here is this. How did Joseph get to this place of making this statement to his brothers that he would rather bless and save them rather than destroy them? How does that happen? The answer is simple, but it's honestly not easy to do. What he did is he kept his focus on his heavenly father. He kept his focus on God. And then he remained honest, and then he walked with integrity. Worship team, if I can have you come up to the platform. I want you to think about this. Joseph's life had repeatedly been spared time after time. His brothers intended to kill him, but then they decided, nah, let's just sell him as a slave instead. And then when Potiphar made accusations against Joseph, Potiphar certainly could have taken his life, but instead what happened? He got thrown into prison. And then Pharaoh, at any point, could have had him put to death when he had revealed the interpretations of his dreams. We see here with Joseph that he had many, many close calls. We see that Joseph endured a life of persistent suffering. And for us, when other people cause you pain and suffering, it's not easy to forget, and it's certainly not easy to forgive. But how do we get to that place and say that same sort of statement that Joseph says? How do we say that in our mind, and how do we sense that and know that in our hearts? Do you want to bless people? Do you want to easily forgive? Would you rather spare them than wish ill upon someone? I think the answer can be found in our focus because what we focus on, it determines our outcome, doesn't it? What we focus on determines our outcome and where we're going. If we focus on the hurt, what happens? We're gonna relive that hurt over and over again. But when we focus on grace and how it has literally saved your life for eternity, 
The outcome is that you will want to breathe life into other areas of your life, including your relationships around you, to the people that are around you. I have a question for you this morning. Is there a relationship that you can breathe life into today? What has been done to us, we want to do to others. My wife and I, as many of you know, have two foster children, two boys, ages two and four. They're a blessing, but sometimes they're wild. A lot of times they're wild. They're very physical, so there's a lot of punching. There's a lot of kicking. There's a lot of slapping. There's a lot of yelling, a lot of wrestling and horseplay in our home. And our dog, Chester, is always surrounded by it. And he has taken a lot of those stray punches and kicks and slaps, and he's been stepped on so many times. And he's such a good little boy. He doesn't, doesn't bite or anything, but he yelps. Anyway, typically when our two boys are horse playing, inevitably one of them ends up crying. And usually it's the two-year-old, it's the younger one, whoever the instigator might be. And what happens is we try to stop the fight before it begins. You know, one of the boys slaps or kicks the other. Of course, they want to retaliate, right? It's only natural. And when we get hurt, when somebody offends us, we kind of have that knee-jerk reaction, don't we, where we want to retaliate. We want to pay evil for evil. We want to hit back. We want to slap back. We want to talk back. We want to cause pain too. But honestly, as adults, but more importantly, as followers of Jesus, and recipients of God's forgiveness through his amazing grace, what we're able to do is to forgive. We don't retaliate. We don't pay back evil for evil. We don't give back what was done to us. And what I want us to see really right now in this moment is that we are living evidence of the power of God's forgiveness. And when it came time for Joseph to save his brother's lives, while it was very difficult for him, he did it because God spared his life. You know, God's word is amazing for so many reasons. And one of the reasons why it's so amazing and beautiful is because it's all about Christ. From the creation story to the book of the law, to Psalms, to Proverbs, and the prophets, from the gospels to Revelation, it's all about Christ. And in the story of Joseph, we see here that he is a type of Christ. We see a type of suffering servant like Christ in Joseph. And God uses Joseph's suffering to reach and redeem his family. But what's more is that Christ, the Son of God, the true and better Joseph, he reaches and redeems all of God's family, not only through his suffering, but through his death and resurrection. When we face suffering, we might ask questions like, God, how long will this suffering and pain last? But I believe the better question to ask is this, God, what do you want to do in me? You know, we might feel like we have to will ourselves through our suffering, but God's will is to form you in your suffering. Your suffering is not without purpose. He will use it for your good and for the good of others and always for his glory. What happens is with the gospel is the gospel, it redeems our suffering because it's Christ who suffered in our place and he was buried in the ground and resurrected three days later, overcoming the grave, conquering death. And what happens is, is he generates new life into every believing heart. Once was, what once was dead is now alive. And we see here that God's grace saves hearts. 
Maybe this morning your heart is troubled. Maybe you're enduring some pain, some trouble. Maybe there's a brokenness inside of you. Maybe you sense that brokenness inside yourself and maybe you don't know what it is quite yet. You haven't determined why that is or what that is or why you're feeling the way that you do. And friends, I wanna let you know that you're not alone in that because each one of us has been born with this severed relationship with God because of sin. And this is manifested in us, causing us to sense that inner brokenness within us. And what happens is, is that wholeness and that peace in our hearts cannot be restored until we trust Jesus with our lives and believe in him with our hearts. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Jesus with your life yet and haven't made him Lord over your life, I'd love to give that opportunity to you. If you feel this prompting in your heart this morning and you'd like to respond to that, then I want, with every eye closed here, with every eye bowed, just quietly slip up your hand so that I can see who we're praying for this morning. If you're here and you sense that brokenness and you haven't yet trusted Jesus with your life, or even if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, feel free to just slip up that hand quietly. We're gonna pray together. Thank you. I saw that hand. Friends, let's pray this prayer together with our friends here. Just simply repeat after me. Dear God, you're the father of grace and forgiveness. And this morning I ask that you forgive me for my sins. Help me forgive myself and help me forgive the other people in my life. Thank you for pouring out your grace on me. And thank you for loving me so much that you gave Jesus for me. Help me to trust you with my entire life. In Jesus' name, amen.